Welcome to Twin Speaks is intended for mature audiences. Also, content warning, we will be discussing topics such as domestic abuse and violence. If you're okay watching Twin Peaks, you'll be okay listening to us. Thank you, and welcome to Twin Speaks. Hello, and welcome to Welcome to Twin Speaks. I'm Mike, and here with me, as always, is my good friend Janine. Hello, hello. Hi, hi, guys. <laughs> Janine, how are you? How is life? How is Janine's world? Oh my goodness. What a big question to start the podcast with. Um, How's life? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> We all know this question. Like, how many things have we seen on Instagram when people are like, how's life going? Like, you can't say, how are you to people in this pandemic? It's like, so what do you want to do with your future? And how is your present? And how are you feeling a scale of one to 10? Um, For me, I'd say, to be honest, this week has been um really quite awesome. Um, For the first time in a long time. Yay. It, yeah. I'm actually, I'm so glad you asked it in this episode because this week's been awesome. I just signed up for acting classes and got a response from an acting coach and i'm yeah taking up acting classes enjoying twin peaks um scared of twin peaks but also loving twin peaks um <laughs> and i had ice cream today so which actually i had ice cream right I, sh- I didn't even tell you this before we started recording but um i had an ice cream cone right before the episode right, right before we started recording which is probably like the last thing you should eat before recording for a podcast so if all of a sudden you start I had a, like hack <laughs> you'll know i had a quesadilla so you're fine i'm <laughs> i'm also just like <laughs> yeah. well that's lovely well we're here we're here to discuss episode two which is the third episode of twin peaks i'm never gonna get used uh, to that but yes It'll, yeah, it'll get better. Once we're in season two, we'll be fine. It's just confusing because the first episode is the pilot and you have episode one. We're in episode two. Oh, yeah. When I'm wearing Twin Peaks shirts and I'm basically <laughs> of a hardcore fan within a few <laughs> a few weeks from now, I'm going to remember everything. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, if you're not confused at this point, then you're watching Twin Peaks wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nailing it then. Okay. <laughs> You're nailing it. Nailing it. Uh, So this is the third episode, episode two. We are doing a non-spoilery dive into Twin Peaks because Mm -hmm. I've seen it half a dozen times. Janine, you have never seen it. And we're in the thick of it now with this episode. And on that note, Janine, we had those Vikings by the horns. So meet me down at the Great Northern as we go scene by scene discussing episode two, Zen, or to catch a killer. Okay, how do I even begin? <laughs> um, <laughs> With um, a moment of just one minute, 60 seconds of silence, yeah. David Lynch decided to begin this episode. I loved it. I mean... Sitting by myself, too, not with a, someone to watch the episode with, where you'd usually probably chuckle watching a scene like that, I still was laughing by myself. And um, yeah, what a, what a proper opening with credits. Like, it, And it also seems really creepy because you feel like you're actually just standing in the dining room watching these people eat 
not through a TV. Like I felt like I was standing there right near creepy Benjamin. And I was like, okay. So yeah. Like if you've ever been to like a realistic theater sort of situation. where like, oh, like immersive experience kind of. Yeah, like the sort of like hyper realistic theater where like, mm-hmm. so I did a, a play in college called The Flick, which was supposed to be like this like hyper realistic play about these two like movie theater attendants. Um, and yeah, and it, it, it is supposed to feel like you're just like immersed in that world and looking in on them. So like, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I, I also feel like David Lynch would probably wanted this scene to go longer if he had his way but the network execs were probably like dude 60 seconds that's about yeah you have like a 40 what 45 minute show or something with commercials and he's like but i want another 12 minutes of this at least (laughs) i want another 12 minutes of just silence that was you're right it was short for like what he would make awkwardly silent scenes for so um yeah for david just for the average viewer silence yeah, exactly, exactly. He's just, like, leaning them in a little bit, just, like, getting uncomfortable. Yeah, I think this is something I really want to probably talk more so with this particular episode, is that I'm realizing episode two, or, you know, slash three, he really is giving you sort of, like, the slow emerge into the bathtub kind of um, experience with his work in this and i think that's what really kind of maybe has led to have a lot of fans with his work he's really good at sort of um at this point i feel like i've been slowly getting like the ivy drip of david lynch of his aesthetic in the pilot the the second episode or the first episode in this one um yeah it's making me kind of really feel like i'm gonna start to become a proper fan of his more so i think that i i really wasn't i think as much of a fan i realized um with all the other stuff i just was aware of some of his work and now i'm kind of like ooh, i'm feeling the cult coming on <laughs> <laughs> you're you're in the club now janine yeah and it's not even for the sake of this podcast i'm like oh no i'm like i really wanted to maybe approach this being all kind of like rebel but i'm a little nervous that i'm already kind of melting too soon with the weirdness that i'm like <laughs> um but yeah okay so let's uh get into the episode so it begins with this guy what was uncle, uncle jerry uncle jer i think someone's calls him um okay <laughs> i feel like every time i just talk about a scene i'm just be like i don't like this person i like this person i'm neutral about that person uncle jerry no i'm not really a fan but i do find him quite funny um i i think it's because only he was being best buddies with um with his brother uh benjamin and i cannot stand benjamin i have concluded at least within this episode thus far he is my least favorite character he is the creep like just creepy in all the worst ways to me and he just annoys me and the way he bit into that brie and butter baguette pissed me off because he he bit into it like the way you'd see someone bite a twix bar sideways and i was just like okay yeah, it's 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 like isn't there like a trend now where like people eat like a banana sideways or something? Or there's like With some the peel weird... still on. <laughs> yeah, or like there's like some weird food trend now where like people intentionally eat foods the wrong way to bother people. And I just immediately thought of that. Like, like yeah, I, I he's very much 
Benjamin's just like a character that is the epitome of what it feels like to have your nails bent backwards. That's how I can describe Ooh. Benjamin for me personally. I know it's really I that may sound dramatic, but it's I think it's accurate. Um uh yeah. though i have to say i have had brie and butter bread sandwiches it did remind me of i've i've been to 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 france once in my life and it did give me a nostalgia feel and i'm pretty sure if i had access to it i wouldn't be thinking about where i'm biting it i would just eat it so i still don't that like was them, <laughs> for me when i was in france that was my breakfast every morning it was it was brie and butter on a baguette with benjamin and jerry i'm a little bit like I'm not really intrigued in watching them two talk so much. I'm I'm kind of more interested in other scenes right now. But um, I did not realize the whole because it's Benjamin and and Jerry that is that a Ben and Jerry. They're not the woke founders of <laughs> Ben and Jerry ice cream, in my opinion. These are very different Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, I have no idea if that's like completely like incidental or if that was like a hundred percent intentional that's like uh bert and ernie you know the sesame street characters everyone says like oh like they're named after the characters from it's a wonderful life there's uh, a bert and ernie george bailey's like two best friends apparently that's completely coincidental (laughs) i love nothing to do with these so I'm kind of I, Ben and Jerry at least are a bit more common names than Bert and Ernie. So I'm kind of willing to think that this is coincidental. Listeners, if you know more than me, then yell at me on the interwebs. But I really don't know. One thing, one thing that Jerry says though that's interesting is he makes the reference to The Shining when he says, "All work and no play make Ben and Jerry dull boys." Have you ever seen The Shining? Oh no, you caught me. Uh I have okay, I'm um yeah, I have not properly seen this shining, but I have seen it on TV when flipping through channels back in the day so many times. So I have seen some iconic moments within the film. It's definitely one of those moments. I have I'm notorious, I'm just going to say right now. I am notorious throughout my life where when someone says, "Have you seen this film?" and I and I half the time will respond, "I've seen parts of it." Um which is so bad. But I'm also really, but I still have seen some really amazing films from beginning to end. Um, but yeah, The Shining is one of those ones I have yet to properly like watch from beginning to end. Um, so no, I don't know the reference. If anyone's doing a Stanley Kubrick podcast, you can have Janine on <laughs> oh, to, to go through that again. In, in the movie The Shining, one of the famous lines is, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So... David Lynch was intentionally quoting Kubrick's film here because he's a huge uh, admirer of Stanley Kubrick. What David Lynch didn't realize was that apparently that admiration went both ways. Kubrick um, actually had screened David Lynch's movie Eraserhead to his crew while making The Shining. I do just have to say that the Haywards have a clock that my my parents have that's like an exact replica i and it looks exactly the same i'm not sure if it came from the same yeah i'm just having a moment there that i had to mention because i saw that clock and i never felt closer to the haywards and it creeped me out too because it made me realize my whole life i've been growing up in a house that had a 
Twin Peaks-esque clock that may have been made in the same, you know, wood wooden clock factory as the one that the Haywards have. <laughs> so just want to point that out. <laughs> or maybe you are the Haywards the whole time and you just didn't realize it's the plot twist. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say anything more. Um, okay, so Ben and Jerry take a trip to One-Eyed Jack's. Another thing I found funny, because there was a bar uh, when I studied abroad in Italy, um, which was my first time ever traveling by plane. It was like a huge thing. Um, the bar that all the students and I went to every week was called One-Eyed Jack's. So I just had another... Co- There's a lot of connections <sighs> for me personally in this episode. I think it's the reason why I feel I'm really starting to just love the show because i mean that's kind of how you do attach to yourself to the show sometimes through the connection of which it you know feels more real i guess for you but was the ice cream cone that you ate before the episode was it a ben and jerry's ice cream cone (gasps) oh my god um wait get out of here was it really i'm not kidding yeah i can show you the carton right now from my sink across the room it's um (laughs) so for everyone that's interested in knowing the ice cream cone i had um before this recording was a brownie core Ben and Jerry's ice cream. It's got vanilla and chocolate and brownie bits and a brownie core. And um, I even have cake cones right now. You know, like the Joy cake cones that people can get at the grocery store, like on the end of aisles. I just had that. So this is creeping me out now. I feel like I'm way too immersed. More than in the donuts and coffee. I'm so immersed in episode two right now. Goodness. I'm... I'm actually terrified right now. I was completely joking, <laughs> but this is actually getting weird now. I really could show proof right now, but we have a we have a podcast to record. Yeah, so I really did. Um, wow. So, but yeah. So the the one I the place one I jacks that they go to to get drinks. I've been to a bar of the same name, and also that place was quite red. I noticed obviously going into this scene, there's like a whole, you know, red bar, and the women all dressed in sort of. That theme going on there, I, I was kind of like a little bit delirious when watching that scene because I think I was a little bit so frustrated with Ben and Jerry's personas that I'm kind of just like, but one thing I really did want to draw attention to is that the woman that Benjamin goes to um, is a woman that to me, if I'm not uh, incorrect, resembled um, Laura, at least in my initial sort of assessment the woman that he goes to that's kind of by a curtain i knew it wasn't the same curtain that everyone talks about all the memes i try to avoid on the internet with this red curtain and checkered floor it wasn't that (laughs) but yeah i was a little intrigued there yeah i don't i don't think that's an accident that she looks like laura palmer uh and that's all i'll say on that okay um but Mm -hmm. i don't think that that's an accident of course it's not an accident. Lynch doesn't make... I mean, no, actually, Lynch does make accidents, and he's, he seems like he's quite proud of the accidents he makes, but... um, <laughs> He uh, makes accidents and then keeps them in the Exactly, <laughs> yeah. I realize I'm like, <laughs> it's definitely... Um, yeah, I wasn't really sure how to assess that scene besides the fact that that girl looked very much like Laura, and I saw red red colors in the in the palette, and um, I, I still don't like Ben and Jerry. I prefer the co-founders ben and jerry of the ice cream company not these two um yeah yeah next stop rocket science <laughs> yeah that was i uh, yeah 
for you know first of all, like they when they first get there we're talking this is the pacific northwest in february think about how cold those girls are oh goodness wearing those outfits well we i hope they would have heating in the place but yeah that's still not okay (laughs) yeah but they're like outside waiting for them to roll up on this boat and then clock the captain rocking those converse (laughs) all-stars as he gets out (laughs) Yeah, uh, truly amazing stuff. I do have to say the 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 whole group of girls also their face faces just explained it for me. They all didn't really look too chipper, at least um, no. And I don't blame them. February and and that outfit is not comfy. Agreed. Blackie seemed quite chill, quite very much. Uh, how would I say it? Like knows how to run a place, kind of idea is what i got definitely seems like someone who yeah i don't know i i feel like i really need to see more of blackie and scenes to kind of deliberate on how i feel this is the third episode and it's already a pretty stacked cast and david lynch for some reason in this episode decides 20 more i'm gonna introduce (laughs) more characters just just I'm just going to keep putting some more characters into this like already soap opera cast. It really is so daunting. It's it kind of makes me really proud of us for taking on. I mean, I I'm sure there there is definitely other Twin, you know, Peaks podcasts out there, but the fact that we're taking this on bravo to us taking on 253 <laughs> characters to talk about with <laughs> within one episode. Um but yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, toot toot. Toot toot toot. Yeah, Cooper's toot toot was a great transition. I I, I love this guy. <laughs> I really hope he doesn't disappoint me because he's, oh, he's just like a bowl of sunshine. Um, a bowl of cherry pie and all that combined. Um, yeah, so he, what was it? He gets a call from Hawk. Hawk, who's like <laughs> pretending he's done more of his job than he uh, you know, then he like then he leads on. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, I went to go investigate this yeah. guy within that area by the morgue, and yeah, doing my job. Let's all take a little replay, shall we? And watch that you, scene. You hardly pursued anything. Just starting to have a little observation that Hawk seems like he's a bullshitter, and he's um talks a lot of talk, but doesn't walk a lot of walk. Or actually, he walks a lot of walk. He just doesn't run pursuit a lot of pursuit. Anyway." <laughs> <laughs> So Bobby and Mike, they go to the, the woods to get this, what was it, the supply, it's like of drugs or something, from Leo, another character I despise. I'm I'm, I'm disliking too many characters. Um, no, I'm actually disliking I, I think it's very... just the right characters to not like. Um, yeah, I so. think it's pretty fair to not like, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's totally fair to not like Ben and Leo of all people. They are atrocious human beings. Yeah, I think one thing that was a little amusing with this scene was that Bobby and Mike are kind of showing how dweeby McDweebs they are in this moment, or just like that they're also a lot of talk in their own way of being tough guys. Um, but when they're up next to Leo, it makes me think like not that they're definitely not innocent guys. It's just they're maybe not as um vindictive or cold i guess maybe as leo or dark as leo is gone um but yeah i yeah. <laughs> bobby up to leo 
when Leo's like suspicious of uh of who Shelly is with. I do give Bobby. I now get the what's his name that plays Bobby. The credit you're giving him for his acting. The whole uh, part where he's just like, "Do you know the guy? Did you did, do you know who's who's she seeing?" <laughs> he's trying to play that act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 do you but do you know who it is? I'm just yeah. You know, I just like I just want to know. Do you know? Like, do you happen to know? So this figure in the in the woods um, that shows up that I mean, that was we're already into the creepy. We we hit past the creepy hemisphere. We we cracked that that barrier already. But yeah, this person that's just chilling by the tree that they see. Not not sure about that. All I'll say is Leo needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> Nadine, I know is so intense. Um, but the whole part when she's just, what was it with the exercise, and then she just starts pulling. I yeah, I am so like waiting for the scene where she's she jacked out of her mind. She's so jacked, and she's just like I'm imagining an animation sequence because I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know where or a claymation moment where her head just turns into like a nuke bomb in front of somebody and <laughs> cuz she just looks like she's constantly about to explode. The scenes between Ed and Nadine are very slapstick and I kind of <laughs> love that yeah. because it is, you know, Twin Peaks when you look at it is this sort of like uh it's this sort of like mesh of different styles and 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 different genres you know there's the soap opera genre there's the you know the the murder mystery and then there's the sort of supernatural element what i love so much about ed and nadine is it's just so slapstick it's so like you could just like hear the yakety sax going on behind it (laughs) as he's like walking into the room and dripping his like goop everywhere his greasy hands it's so so funny and it's great and it shows that like david lynch can balance you know this creepy and weird story with these sort of like fun slapstick happy moments yeah it's really great stuff i think people who know of david lynch on the surface think he's only known for elements of weird and silence and all these unique sort of strange realms but he he is so versatile and i think people that's the thing that i'm starting to learn that is quite cool it's like he's known for his craft because he it's like when you think of painters that you know draw uh, or paint surrealist kind of like works of art and do abstract work and but then you see some work they've done where they've done still life and it's like magnificent and then they yeah, I think he's definitely, people gotta, I mean, he gets credit, but people who just think he's weird, it's like, they'd probably be surprised to realize that there's something of their, of his that they've admired, and they didn't know it was actually done by him, because it's something that is also in their realm of tastes, or, you know, what they prefer, or something. Shelly, we have in the next scene, and uh, quite a blow to her life with the whole invitation to love just reminding her how her life is going um bobby though coming into the scene like as if he thinks that's an invitation for him to come into the scene pissed me off because here she is 
you know, bruised up and having just gone through, you know, because she's in an abusive relationship. And what does Bobby do being Bobby? He, like, walks in being Bastard Bobby, being like, who did this to you? Oh, my God. And he starts, like, shaking her head like she's a, a bobblehead. And that kind of just annoyed me personally because I'm like, oh, let's, like, a woman who's been manhandled horribly and another man comes in saying he's going to protect her who is, like, basically partially manhandling her in that moment um, or completely manhandling her yeah not only that but like bobby is the dumbest human yeah in let's, the world. that's like, where my anger is coming literally from. in the last scene that he was in he was like shitting his pants in the woods because leo needing his new pair of shoes was like saying you know yeah if i find out who's been like sleeping with my wife I'm going to beat the crap out of this dude. I'm going to murder him. Like, he's a dead man. And so what does Bobby do, like, the next day? Shows up as a, like, like dude, just just cut it off. Like, it's not worth it. Like, I love Shelly, too. Like, I want the best for Shelly. But, my God, you're going to get you and her killed. Like, what are you thinking? It is a ticking so time bomb. It is. And it's very, yeah. uh, who did this to you? Like, really, Bobby? Like, just get out. Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, Bobby is... All, he He's nearly as annoying as Benjamin. All the names so far with Bs. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but yeah. Lucy, um... Get, oh, what was it? Serves up the, the guys. Truman, Cooper, I think Hawk's there, with the coffee. And this scene I find the most entertaining quite adorable it, it needs to have like a bit of a sitcom music playing in the background of how they're doing this because the whole um this whole thing is so cooper and i don't even know him that much yet but it's hilarious with the throwing stones and i guess what is it with the letter j which made me feel again i'm getting so immersed in this show it's getting disgusting because my name starts with j so i wasn't surprised i was surprised when i didn't j see for janine <laughs> I'm like, why is my name not on the chalkboard? Like, hey. Dude, I I'm actually getting very nervous for you because this the coincidences are stacking up. Why do I feel like you set me up when you asked if you know, I wanted to co-host this with you? And it's because the biggest twist will be at the end of this whole series, I will see my face on the screen and I was the murderer or something <laughs> all along. And I'll be like, wow. <laughs> Job well done, Mike. This whole series... This whole series was a, like, 30-year plot from <laughs> David Lynch to set mm -hmm. you specifically up. He's actually a time traveler. He went back to 1990, set up the show. Oh, yeah. All just to freak you personally out. And that's it. That's a wrap on the pod. I wouldn't even blink. I would be so not surprised. And, I mean, if it's not me, it's somebody else that's been set up in that way. <laughs> yeah, I found that scene quite adorable and confusing and <laughs> yet i still trust cooper's methods so i mean hey but but that's what's so great about this scene is that he sounds crazy he sounds like he has no idea what he's talking about and yet they all go along with it they all play along lucy's on the chalkboard you know, Andy's doing his thing. Hawk's just standing there with the the oven mitt and the, the the barrel of rocks. Like they're all doing their part because they're just like, yeah, we trust Coop. 
Coop knows what he's doing. Yeah, in my notes, um, what was it? I wrote Big B and her bonnet. Love it. <laughs> That's just... <laughs> um, yeah. Big B and her bonnet. Big B and her bonnet. And, um... All I collected with the rock, you know, the way he was um, figuring this out with his method was Shelly's rock was rude. Um, I think it hit Andy. Poor Andy. <laughs> Poor Andy. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's the bee's knees. He's, he's the bee's knees in her bonnet. <laughs> he is. Okay. So the Double R Diner, my new favorite place to go. Audrey um, walks in, and I think it's Donna and her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Hayward. They're chilling at the booth, and this is something I was looking forward to because I was wondering when Donna and Audrey were going to have a scene together because I think the first scene prior to this is in the pilot episode, and it's not really much exchanges between them. It's So this is like a... I was kind of really intrigued about this. Um, but really, it was just an iconic dance number by Audrey. And then, um, yes, it was Audrey's dance. Dude, that was hypnotic. Um, and also it was sentimental. I mean, I am very much now starting to get intrigued by Audrey. Her first, the first instinct I had, or the first observation, seeing her smile with, uh, in the classroom from the news of Laura, um, Palmer's death was, you know, it made me realize, like, obviously it's not pleasant to see someone smile, but at the same time, it's like there wasn't really much backstory. And um, the more I'm learning about Andre, um, I just want to take a dance class with her, really. So, bravo to her. <laughs> Incredible. And it's iconic. That little short 15, 20 second dance thing. Twin Peaks fans remember it. They always come back to it. They always talk about it. It's really wow. such a great scene. That's interesting to learn. It's so memorable. And also <laughs> a little observation about her is that she's very, very swift at changing the subject. I mean, in every scene I think I've noticed thus far, um, or at least just divert from the the conversation at hand. Like she, she at least did that with Donna and that very short uh, dialogue between them. And then, the best way of diverting a conversation is when she started, yes, dancing. Um, that now I know yeah. iconic scene. Blue Pine Lodge. These two. Uh, uh, Catherine, which I... More like Karen. Um, Pete and Catherine, they talk about um, Cooper's, yeah, sort of like, present in the t like presence in the town. And um, Catherine is probably my second least favorite character this whole podcast episode is about every character janine does not like there's benjamin there's Catherine, <laughs> bobby and so forth um but yeah so they they were talking i think in the bedroom and um but pete pete's helping josie out which i wasn't surprised because i mean he was helping her out i think in the pilot episode w having her back when she suggested that they close down the the mill that day but um yeah, so now Josie has, uh, what was it, this ledger. And um, she finds two, though. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was like two. And that was... She finds two books. 
I don't know if it's like one's a ledger, one's a storybook, grim fairy tale, or (laughs) one's about how to get a fish out of a percolator. (laughs) I don't know, but. So it's two ledger books. It's two identical looking ledger books. Okay. And that's all I'll say on that for now. Mm hmm. Okay. I don't, like I said, I don't trust anything, not even the coffee in the show. So I don't trust what you're saying, Mike, but okay. Don't, tr- I mean, don't trust the coffee. <laughs> there was a fish in the percolator. You can't trust the coffee. For all I know, the f- it wasn't a fish. And it was two ledgers that were in the percolator. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, but yeah, I do, I do like Pete. Um, he seems quite innocent. He seems like someone who could get stepped on. Um, but he seems like he has good intent. Um, and Josie is someone still one of those characters, um, like Ed. There's not a lot of like background to her yet, but I kind of have good vibes still with her. Yeah, Catherine okay. can go. Good vibes. And fuck off, though. <laughs> her and Benjamin. Definitely. Now I get why. That, now I get why they're my, my two least favorite characters because they're the two characters that are having the affair. Correct. Yeah, they're in they're in cahoots together. Yeah, they're gonna live they're the ones happily evil after. <laughs> Oh, gosh, this was probably the most stressful scene for me. I was literally sitting in my seat, not knowing what to do with myself. I think if you know what I'm talking about, Laylin and the frame of his jaw, like with the picture frame, the music. It, I mean, it was so it was also sad. It was really kind of like intense to take in. But it gets a bit weird when you start rubbing blood on your daughter's picture frame and it's like yeah it's just like they i I feel and i feel so bad for what is it sarah i think her name is sarah palmer like the mom yeah it's all just so tragic it's really sad like they've they're so lost and uh it makes me believe that they're innocent people in the matter for the time being um yeah I think Leyland needs to take some it's notes so from Audrey. Tragic. It's not it's... the best. I mean, like, Audrey knows how to do a dance number. Leyland's like, okay, I got this. I can do this. I can. We need to dance. <laughs> like, when you really put those scenes side by side. Like, I, mean, I just got to dance. <laughs> dance it away. I was, I was kind of noticing. I know that we've talked about food in prior episodes so far, which there was still a very um, prominent, you know, kind of like air about food without within this episode with the brie and butter bread and and so on but yeah dance numbers was a new thing i'm starting to um absolutely gather and yeah Leyland comes in th- uh, third place <laughs> out of two people <laughs> will, out of the two other people yeah. yeah we will be talking about music mm-hmm. and dancing and its role in twin peaks on a future pod at some point. And that's all I'll say about that. Um, as far as this scene goes, two fun things that I love about it. One, the use of the song Pennsylvania 65000. Mm-hmm. Classic jazz chart. Any jazz musician. If you've ever been in like high school jazz band, you've played this song. <laughs> like It's such a classic tune. And the fact that he's just got it on vinyl is just classic like upper class living in the Pacific Northwest kind of style. <laughs> um, but also in this scene, so when he's wiping the blood on the photo of Laura, mm-hmm. it was actually revealed later in an interview with Don't Ray Weiss, him. the guy who plays um, 
Leland Palmer. You're kidding. That wasn't scripted. That's his real blood. Method. My goodness. Really? And he, yep. And him and Grace Sabrinsky, the, the uh, actress that plays Sarah, they just kept going. They didn't stop. They didn't take a beat. And he just started smearing it on the painting because he uh, on the portrait because he knew that that was going to look beautiful and it did it really worked wow. he really what he said a himself duo. like no one could say no he said himself like no one could say i didn't give uh blood sweat and tears for that show. <laughs> <laughs> wow good on you leyland really getting into it there is like something haunted about the show in, in terms of the fact that like so many of like the little accidents just worked so well on yeah. scene. It is kind of incredible. But then this last scene. Oh, like, no, no, I don't want to talk about the last scene. I don't want to talk about this scene. I, we, could, <laughs> we could take an entire episode on this scene. I'm afraid we're going to go way over time talking about this scene. This scene, when I was mid watching it, I'm like, how am I supposed to talk to Mike about this scene? I forgot what we were getting into. I don't. My brain is mush after watching it. I. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one thing that was really, you know, I was finally like, oh, yay. Like the checkered floor, the red curtain, like all these memes and all these things. that I don't know what people are referencing to. I'm finally seeing something in reference to it. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um. Oh, the, okay. Oh my God, where do I start? This is, so, one thing I do have to give credit to in the scene that I really liked, that I thought was really amazing, that wasn't like, that was, (laughs) everything else was very uncomfortable, but it was also like really entertaining, like really impressive. But one thing that I liked that was also entertaining was how, Lynch isn't like David Lynch's interpretation of how in a dream someone would talk and the way it was sounding warped and almost like the person was um, struggling to get the words out but also or not like yeah almost like fighting to get the words out of their mouth or just like registering it and in a way the reason why I just found that really fascinating is because when you have a dream there is no sound like it is non-existent and it is technically made up through your conscience like what you're witnessing so i thought that was fascinating the way that these um laura and this other character the the um the man the the small man in the uh the red suit um the way they started talking that to me i thought was insane like i and i mean i was like this is so cool as an interpreter it made me kind of feel like the first time in my life out of everything i've ever watched this was the best interpretation of a dream watching a dream while being awake it it was absolutely it's that to me was wild um the whole introduction to the dream where the man in the red uh jacket is shaking really um that was when I was like, okay, we're, you know, in the, the David Lynch, you know, house. This is happening. It's very sort of, yeah, I was, I, I don't, I'm, I, how are we going to talk about this? Listen to me right now. I'm like all it, it, over the place. It, 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 yeah. It hits a nerve. It's, mm-hmm. it's, this is 
like the big moment like this scene is i mean i i still remember like where i was what i was doing when i first watched this scene because all my friends were talking about twin peaks they were talking about this show that just like Mm -hmm. it it had just showed up on netflix and they were all talking about it and they kept sharing they kept sending this gif in our group chat of just this this like little man in a red suit doing this weird dance and i'm like the heck is this about and when i watched the first two episodes i was like i still don't get it what is this show about (laughs) what is going on like what's like where like how does this gift that i keep seeing you know uh, apply to this show and then i just got to this scene and i was just like this show is different yeah this show is nothing like anything that has ever been on television before and it's it I, I almost like like had to pause and rewind because I was like, am I still watching the same show? Like, what is yeah. happening? What's going this on? This is definitely, at least for me, and I'm assuming it just looks like across the board, this is the scene where you realize that this is a, you enter this level of strange and confusion with what you're watching. And it's not about this... plot. It's not about, you know, character identity. It's like all of a sudden this next level of what he goes into. And I, <laughs> yeah it's quintessential twin peaks it's it's this is what defined what twin peaks was going to be for the next right well you know the next 25 26 years you know what i mean this is the scene that really built in that that weirdness and that supernatural uh element um and it's so and it's just so well done and it's so well put together. Um, you know, we we get the first uh, uh, incitement of the the poem that the one on man reads. His voice is very similar, I have to say. Past. Yeah. The, like the, yeah. Um, that and, was the first time we hear him speak, I think. Is it not? Um... Yes, that would be the first time we hear the the Wonder Man speak, and he has that creepy, dark voice. Yeah. I mean, Al Strobel is just, I mean, an acting performance that is just so unrivaled for, for TV at the time. Yeah, his voice is definitely, the way you would describe when looking at something, um, it's like he, he <sighs> uncomfortable and uneasy, but yet just enough... I think the the best way to describe um, one armed man's voice for me it's like when you um, when when talking about it in a visual description it's like seeing something that is uneasy uncomfortable um, yet you just enough allure that you can't look away and that's how I, his voice was for me it also was a little bit of a yeah, I, I need to look him up. Uh, though I can't because I get very, I get so careful about all this with spoilers. I've been very good that I don't really, you know, do any Google yeah. research. But I am intrigued later to find out what he's been in before because his voice is very um, familiar to me. But I just can't pinpoint it. Um, but yeah, oof, what a deliverance of Firewalk with me. I was like, wow, I get it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely don't look him up because he he has been in a few other projects, but most of what he's done is Twin Peaks related. So definitely don't definitely don't look him up. If you're <laughs> listening, don't and you haven't watched Twin Peaks before, do not look up Al Strobel. Don't look at him; you'll get lots of spoilers and stuff. But he is he is incredible. Um, 
just just incredible and we get names to these characters too uh the one man we get his name mike yeah uh we get we get the name of the the uh the long haired white haired man bob yeah which his is... name is uh bob oh my gosh i'm having a moment right now and i didn't even think about this before my notes can i say this this soon oh my god okay if one-armed man is Mike and long-haired bed frame guy is Bob, does that have anything to do with Bobby and and Mikey? Just saying. Just saying. And I know you're you're very good at the poker face. I so will say nothing. No, if anyone's wondering, Mike is through the screen giving <laughs> me a poker face that I I yeah, he's okay. Got it. Just putting that on the record and Which is podcast. ironic because I'm awful at poker <laughs> ironic because i'm terrible at poker if you ever want to steal all of my money just challenge me to poker that's also um, okay and then i love the last beat of it of coop waking up the music is still playing softly in the background he's got that big spotlight on him too as if like it's oh, yeah. almost as if he's still kind of dreaming you know yeah it's honestly like i uh, i'm sounding like a broken record at this point probably but this was the most realistic sense of surrealism that exists within dreams like i i couldn't i it was so good it was but probably that's... the first time with david lynch's stuff where again i've always appreciated his work but this is like the first time i'm looking at his work and it felt like a little bit uncomfortable but then he all of a sudden starts wowing me with other things and other elements and and lights and sounds and all these things that happen all at once that I'm like, it's a, it's like a unique definition of uncomfortable that doesn't really exist outside of his work. Like it, it, it's a very unique sort of uncomfortable. I, I, I'm going to figure out a word for it, but yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, I, I mean, what I love so much about David Lynch's work Mm-hmm. is that he uses the surreal to explain the real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we'll talk more about this as we go through the series. But like you said, like, even though this is this surreal, bizarre experience, we understand this feeling. Like, we have experienced this feeling before of, you know, having this, like, struggling to speak in a dream struggling to talk and feeling like your words are distorted when you do speak yeah it's so relatable and yet it's complete and yet it's straight from surrealist you know uh sort of avant-garde theater these sort of words that don't seem to mean anything and all this nonsense but it's still so relatable it feels so real it's yeah i'm really looking forward to this kind of conversation because there's so many there's so many directions that we can talk about about like i'm just looking if there's one thing that i know about when i think of you know reality versus not it's that you know one thing has more um black and white clear answers or closure and all these variations or at least how we define it that's the thing i think at least nowadays i'm starting to notice that um i had a discussion recently with someone like about how in cinema and in, in in film in general, that a lot of what we find to be successful um, stories has to have a conclusion or has to have something that is explainable or leaves the viewer with answers. 
but this sort of realm that he goes into, you know, with the surrealist, you know, um, dreams and such, it's like making you find a place in which you can be okay without any answers because you he's he's basically as you just said understanding where you're coming from through your feelings or just knowing that you could relate to that but you there is no way to explain it in words it's just a matter of witnessing or um memory or you know or you know yeah and that this is gonna be so flipping fascinating mike oh my god (laughs) ready for this roller coaster let's do it six flag style (laughs) so 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 I feel like we've already gotten so many of your thoughts, but just overall thoughts on the episode. What, what did you think of this episode? Okay, I don't want to do this with every episode, but I mean, if it happens, it happens. Um, this episode is my favorite episode thus far. Um, like, I don't want to be that person that's like, every time we watch an episode, I'm going to say, this is my favorite episode. This is my favorite episode. I really do think this is my favorite Um there's just so many feelings it's really intense like even though in general this show is going to be intense but it the dance numbers the food still showing and making its cameos new character introductions where it can be overwhelming but these characters that he brings in are so worthy of entering into the world of Twin Peaks so it's not it's just all weirdly wonderful i'd say at this point that's how i would uh describe this episode for me and the whole overall show you know three episodes in yeah no for me like there's still plenty more in twin peaks to come there's still plenty of like my favorite episodes to come my favorite moments to come but you know for me twin peaks is a comfort show it's like that like warm blanket i like to put on you know like on a bad day or like if it's like a rainy day i'll just get like a cup of coffee and a donut and this is the episode i always come back to because this is sort of like like you said it's that first plunge into david lynch's universe his creative process his style Mm -hmm. um and it's just it's there's something so entertaining about coming back to it and rewatching it over and over again you know, I know I've said I've watched the series itself. This will be my sixth run through. But this episode specifically, I've come back and watched probably close to a dozen times. It's just so, so yeah. fun. I love that description out, so. because I know what that's such a great question to ask people of um, what's your cozy blanket show to watch. And I don't know if this would be my comfort show yet. I think it's too soon to say. But I do agree that this episode is a great description of, like, if you were to put this episode into a quilt, the patchwork would be magnificent. (laughs) That's how I would describe it. Well, Janine, Mm -hmm. let's take a peek behind those red curtains and go behind the scenes on this week's episode. A little bit about the production first. This episode... In case it wasn't obvious, uh, was written by David Lynch and Mark Frost. And in case it wasn't even more obvious, <laughs> was directed by David Lynch himself. Oh, yeah. uh, David Lynch got back into the directing seat for this episode. And boy, is it obvious. <laughs> Very much his style. Um, there are so many fun, interesting things happening behind the scenes in this episode. Um 
we have, of course, you know, during during the rock throwing scene, there's actually some footage of Johnny Horn, Audrey's brother. Johnny was also in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. But the actor playing Johnny in the opening scene is not the same actor from the pilot. And so you actually have two different actors playing Johnny Horn in this episode because they flash back to the pilot. Wow, that is risky business for them. I mean, it's one thing when you see that happen in a show where it's in between seasons or something, but right in the same episode, of course David would deliver They were that. just in the same episode. <laughs> and you know, truth be told, I, I didn't notice it. I didn't I notice the show. I didn't notice it until I looked it up. So yeah, the original actor was uh, Robert Davenport. And uh, the one that is plays Johnny from this point forward is uh, Robert Bauer. Also, now that we have more information on Bob, I can talk a little bit more about okay. how he was cast, uh, Frank Silva. So, Janine, you actually kind of picked up on this in our first podcast. Did in our I? first episode. Oh. There was a reflection of someone in the mirror when Sarah Palmer... Yes. Juts up mm-hmm. and is all freaked out. Mm-hmm. That is a reflection of the actor who plays Bob, Frank Silva. Now, this was not an intentional shot mm-hmm. for David Lynch. If you remember, you know, they were, they were still kind of like putting things together and they had made the, the international pilot and they were still kind of working things out. Mm-hmm. And so Frank Silva was not even an actor on the show when he was reflecting the mirror. Oh. He was a set dresser for oh the show. Oh my God. That is awesome. Wouldn't that be the most epic way to become an actor? I love when you hear those stories of act- people that become actors accidentally. It's just... Uh... Sorry. And of That's course, awesome. David Lynch is the one to do it. <laughs> And so basically, so what happened was they, they filmed that scene. They noticed he was in the background. And then later when they're filming this, they were filming a scene in Laura's room. Mm-hmm. And Frank was, you know, Frank Silva was in the room dressing the set, doing his job. And David Lynch noticed him behind the bed. And he was like, hey, hey Frank, what? You, can you just look up for a sec? <laughs> You're an actor, right? You've done some acting before. And Frank Silva was like, yeah, I've done a little bit of acting. He's like, great, 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 great. Cool. We're going to shoot you right here and we're going to just like figure this all out later. And so he wrote this whole character for him just based on that shot alone and the fact that he's in the mirror in that other scene. And thus, Bob was created. Frank Silva was just a a wonderful human being. Everyone always spoke his praises, spoke very highly of him. Um, He was openly gay throughout most of his life. And while uh, filming Twin Peaks, he did unfortunately... um, Passed away at the age of 44 from AIDS. Um, so really just just a tragic and to such a, a, a wonderful human being who plays such a sinister character. It's always amazing when people talk about how friendly and lovely he is. And he plays such like a sinister evil character. It's just, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's fun to watch. It really is fun to watch. Those are some of the best um, actors. Ones that, you know, if they could play such a, I mean... I am curious. Yeah, like clearly this character that I've seen very little of doesn't look like a um, a good-hearted character. But just the way you're describing Frank, 
Oh, I really want to look. He's definitely one of the people I want to look up first after um when I ha- when I can safely for uh past the spoiler range. But yes. Oh, what a cool guy. Some just some more fun uh looks into David Lynch's directing style mm-hmm. and some of the freaky weird stuff that happened on set. Um Kimmy Robertson who plays Lucy on the show was talking about the scene where they were doing the rock throwing, Mm -hmm. right? That Tibetan rock throwing scene. And she said that David Lynch, quote, sat the cast down and told Kyle, referring to Kyle McLaughlin, Mm -hmm. told Kyle he was going to hit the bottle. (laughs) Kyle hit it and everybody freaked out. It was like David Lynch used the power of the universe. (laughs) So that's like, again, like there's just so many creepy, spooky coincidences that happened on the set of this show that really worked. Janine, you you mentioned the reverse speech a little bit, the mm-hmm. the the sort of disoriented way of talking. Uh, the way that they did this was they actually phonetically pronounced each word backwards in the script. It's so well done. I need to watch that scene over again because just the way their mannerisms and the way that they're acting, I was trying to, my first thought was that I was thinking of like the element of water. It seemed like there was just like water in their throat or some kind of thing where it's like there's a, a blockade of what they're trying to, to say, but because of the how the way the, the edit was done or the sound editing, it was so cool. There's no other way to describe it. Yeah. That wasn't you, tough though, too. Also re-watch... to act like that is impressive. Yeah, if you go back and you rewatch the scene, you can actually see the movement, especially of the the little man dancing. Yeah. Um, which you know the the actor who plays the the small man in the the red suit, mm-hmm. uh, Michael J. Anderson. Um, he's actually said in multiple interviews that he actually, unbeknownst to David Lynch. He actually already had experience talking this way, talking backwards, because when he was a kid, him and his friends had developed a secret language, which was basically just them speaking words phonetically backwards. So he had already had practice doing it, and David Lynch had no idea. This guy is so cool. The coincidences oh, add up, Janine. It is so freaky and bizarre why does it just so seem bizarre. why does it seem like the character the people on the show they all just perfectly fell into place getting a spot into this tv show well it, that's something i think is what is a huge element that has made this show so strong for so long real real quick we'll we'll just go over the reception only because i know we've spent so much time talking about <laughs> this episode because it's so good it's worthy of um, it mm-hmm obviously the yeah oh absolutely um and obviously this show was was very well received um tom shales from the washington post from the washington post uh he he said that the dream sequence was the scene that separated the men from the boys and he talked about how it really kind of really kind of polarized the the audience of sort of like these loyal viewers and it just being so completely weird that it distanced everyone else. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of true. I think that this was kind of a make it or break it moment for a lot of people on the show, which is 
Well, Janine, I'm very happy that you enjoyed it. Yeah, like what a risk when you really be... think about it. It's a risk when that that happened. But yeah, oh, what a what a this wonderful podcast risk. was a risk because if you because yeah. if you turned around and you were like, I hated the scene, I wanted nothing to do with it, I'd be like, well, I guess we should just cancel the pod now. So yeah. I'm very relieved to hear that you enjoyed the episode. But on that note, Janine, let's rock. <laughs> and talk about this week's mm-hmm. legacy of Twin Peaks. Let's I think it. you're really going to enjoy this one because it's a little mind blowing. We are going to be talking about the legacy of the Red Room itself. Oh boy. Yeah. Let's do so, it. So, we've already listen, obviously we've we've talked this thing to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, about just the surrealism of it and how it introduced that surrealism into mainstream television in a way that was really unique stylistically um, and really like dark and weird and defined not only what Twin Peaks was, but what television could be, how television could be more experimental. Um you know, because up until now, murder mysteries and things like that had been very straightforward, very realistic. And this is something that introduces this idea of it being something more than that. It could be something weird and strange and wonderful. Um, but this is kind of the fun, mind-blowing part. And Janine, I want to kind of get your reactions on some of these because okay. not only does this scene has this scene influenced television producers and, and, and creators, but they've there's been so many direct parodies of this scene in things that you probably watched and didn't realize it was Twin Peaks. Oh no. Uh, so we're gonna go through some of them right now. Janine, have you ever watched The Simpsons? Were you, a, were you a Simpsons fan at all? Oh no! This episode, everyone really is gonna. No. I, well, I'm a fan no. of the illustration, no. but no, I so I actually no, I have um, I'm one of the, like the very few Americans that has not watched The Simpsons. Okay, well, so even if you've just seen a few scenes from The Simpsons, you've probably seen some aspect of the episode uh who killed mr burns it was a two-part so this is uh this is a Mm two-parter um and in part two chief wiggum has a dream where he's actually in the red room (laughs) and lisa does the little backwards speak you know what i'm talking about i can't believe yeah i hope people are not gonna buy this right now but i not having seen the simpsons know what you're referring to because i have seen it I've seen photos of it like uh, on Google. Uh, yeah, I do know what you're referring to weirdly, but um yeah, cuz I mean that's what the Simpsons is known for. They do so so many iconic references to other, you know, famous cult, you know, entertainment <laughs> and stuff. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so that's so that's one example. Um mm-hmm. there was also one of the Scooby-Doo movies. One of the more recent ones, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. There is a fantastic scene where Scooby-Doo somehow finds himself in the Red Room. 
and the man in the red suit is there and does his little backwards speaking. Janine, you look like you might have seen this. Yeah, if anyone's, no one can tell because I was being so silent, but I, I, my my face looked like a big brain fart because I was registering that as well. <laughs> um, my goodness. I can't wait now. Now I need to rewatch everything I've ever seen in my whole entire life just to notice all the Red Room references. Oh my but that's the thing is you're you're going to go back and watch like it'll be an accident. You'll just be watching one of your favorite shows one day or like a show you watched when you were younger and suddenly be like, wait a minute. <laughs> They're in the Red Room. Wait a minute. They're eating cherry pie. Wait a minute. This was in my childhood Wait the whole time. Wait a minute. Time. I'm in the Red Room. Like, it's going to be... <laughs> it's going to... And, and then David Lynch is just going to walk out and be like, Janine, this whole show was about you the whole time. Wait a second. This is a uh, horrible, no. a horrible detour. But it, what? You're telling me that Fifty Shades of Grey with the Red Room? Did they get that from Twin Peaks too? That's that's a dishonor to the, the Red Room, if, in my opinion. But... What the hell? I wouldn't be surprised though, but I wouldn't be surprised. It has shown up the same red curtains and and uh, uh, chevron flooring, black and white flooring, mm-hmm. uh, has shown up in Jimmy Neutron. <gasps> oh there, my! See, you like, know exactly the episode I'm talking about. Okay, I told you it's mind Simpsons. Blowing. I was like, okay, I know what you're referring to, but I'm not familiar with the show. Scooby Doo took me a minute. That one, Jimmy Neutron, you just opened up level 20 2100 with jimmy neutron i'm looking this up right now so i can watch i'll send it to you i'll try to find it i'll send it to you uh folks listening i'll i'll post i'll see if i can like send the name of the episode i don't have it in front of me now but if you go to our instagram uh at welcome to twin speaks i'll see if i can upload some pictures and scenes from it I can't believe also that. gravity falls if you're a gravity falls fan they meant they they have the red room in gravity falls there's an episode of the regular show where they're in the red room i love how many animation uh, s- uh shows a- a- animated shows uh you know took it up it's yeah yeah it's 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 referenced i mean just all the time, all the time, and then Sesame Street did a wonderful parody of Twin Peaks, where they included <laughs> <That's> uh, awesome. <laughs> included the Red Room. So it really is. Uh, so again, the legacy of this scene and just just the setting itself that David Lynch built, mm-hmm. it is so built into the fabric of pop culture that has been staring you in the face since your childhood. And you probably just never noticed it. Until now. All right. Well, Janine, it's time to take you downtown to the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. Because I've got a few questions to ask. Okay. Just wait. Just one second while I change my desktop wallpaper to a red curtain and checkerboard floor. The red room. Just going to change my... (laughs) Okay. Oh, it's... Listen, my phone background... My computer desktop, all of it is red curtains and the the this black and white zigzags. All right, so Janine, as usual, same three questions. Question number one, what was your favorite scene? Although I think we've kind of beaten this point to death. <laughs> um what are you thinking? I think it's the red room scene. 
Um, I'm, 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 I mean, if I'm wrong, let me know. No, you're not wrong. I wish I could have. It really, my favorite scene definitely is um, the Red Room scene. It's just, it had all of, it was a whole cup of everything. Um, and it just like, it, it threw me for a whirl in a way that I'm like, okay, I'm bracing. I'm bracing everything this show has to to offer. I'm there for it. Second uh, closest favorite scene would probably be uh, the dance numbers. Audrey's in particular. Sorry, Leland, but... Who do you think won the episode? So who do you think came out on top? Who had the best performance? Who did the best? Who do you think is doing the best right now? Um... Well, there, okay, I have two answers. Technically, in Nadine's eyes, she's winning. <laughs> I mean, she's on the way to the lotto. She, you know, that's, I'd say if I was living in Twin Peaks world, like Nadine, she's winning. As an audience member, I'd say that, I'd say that the the man, the small man in the red suit, he's he's winning. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he definitely seemed happy. He did. Seemed happy about something. I mean, I would say Dale, you know, Cooper, I think he, I said he was winning in a different episode, but he ended with the flock of seagulls hairdo, and I mean, it was impressive <laughs> on the phone with his hair. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And he also ended it with some pretty keen knowledge that he decided not to share. And so I want to know, Janine. <gasps> oh, yeah. Who do you think who killed Laura Palmer? So many characters. Impossible decisions. Um, I every single time you ask me this question, I'm going to struggle. It's just something I have to accept. Ed. I just brain farted that out. Ed. Ed, yeah. Something about Ed that um Okay. I don't know where my sometimes the reasoning behind my transitions, you know, this early on. Um, but I also think that's very David Lynch uh approach. <laughs> no reason. Just Ed. <laughs> Ed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got eyes on Ed for the rest of the series. Good to know. Yeah. All right, folks. I think that about covers up this By episode. Golly. My goodness, did we go over time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but there was so much to talk about, so much to to, to dive into. I mean, it's a damn fine episode. Janine, there's so much more. <sighs> Janine, this is only the third episode of the series. That's already getting weird. I need to make sure i have more sleep for this this requires so much energy because it's just so it's so amazing beautiful Mm -hmm. well i'm glad you're enjoying it so far because this podcast would be really weird if you weren't (laughs) and we're gonna do more episodes until then let's uh let's dance it out play rocket science play rocket science dance it out get some Ben and Jerry's yeah eat some Ben and Jerry's and then some bread brie and butter (laughs) for breakfast (laughs) oh oh, 
we're already talking about food again. All right. <laughs> See y'all next time. Bye. Welcome to Twin Speaks is edited by Janine Purse and produced by Mike Dowd with music by RJ Mills. Follow us on Instagram at Welcome to Twin Speaks, or you can email us at welcometotwinspeaks at gmail.com.